what a powerful service. I remembered my own baptism. I was 18 years old. And the message is, God keeps his word. He is faithful. Isn't that right? I received the same word that Joshua got. Everything you do in word and deed, do it in the name of Jesus Christ and thank the Lord for him. And that word kept until this day. So what is happening here is valid in heaven too, and I am so grateful for this. And thank you for everyone who got baptized today. Our church is growing, but most of all, heaven is growing because what we do has um, is worth it for eternity. So I just came back from Berlin. Charlotte and I were there. We arrived here or flew in at 1 o'clock yesterday. We had a very powerful rally against anti-Semitism and for Israel and for Jerusalem, right in front of the Brandenburger Tor. It's the Paris place in Berlin. There were about a 1,000 people, uh, German press, media, and so on. Most importantly, God was there. It was just a powerful testimony and there were different Israel groups, the Initiative 27th of January, Christians at the side of Israel, ICEJ, and so on. We were standing together with our friends there. The special part about this at the end of the evening, we did not plan this, but at the end of the event, the Israeli politician just showed up, Henik Ba, he is the speaker of Knesset. And randomly, he came on stage. So that was a great encouragement. He said, I will bring this into Israel, what you are doing here. And he he, he underlined that we shall not stop with doing what we do. The evening before, on the 9th of November, um, that, that was 80 years pogrom night. And we had a remembrance event with Gideon Greif and Stefan Kramer. He was for 13 years the head of the advice of Jews in Germany, and now he is um, a politician in Thüringen. And that was a very powerful event and the preparation for the March of Life in Erfurt. So many things are moving, and God is doing wonderful things. So I brought a word for you that I actually wanted to preach last Sunday. Things go by, by quickly, right? We had such a great conference last week. It was a great blessing. Paul Wilber was here. He said it was one of the most emotional conferences I experienced. God himself was there. Roy Fields was also there. He was a big blessing. And we are so grateful for his childlike, devoted spirit. And then Sunday was going different than we planned. And that was totally okay. It's good to have things blend, but it's better when we're flexible and things flow in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says be flexible, so why don't you turn to your neighbor and say be flexible? I seriously thought whether I should preach that message at all, but then God encouraged me. We were in Berlin in our prayer prayer apartment. It was a great time. And this message, I believe it fits what, what is happening right now. So if you have a Bible, please go to 
James 5, verse 11. I want to read this text to you. Who of you knows what a job message is? I think we all know that. And I believe nobody wants a job message, right? I think it's a job message is not good news. I don't want that. Who received a job message once? Because in Job's life, the messengers came. And we don't want that anyways. But Job was known for the first uh, among among the first Christians he is also uh, in the New Testament he's not just a character in the Old Testament but he is an example for certain aspects and I want to read the verses James 5 7 to 11 be patient then brothers until the Lord's coming See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have preserved. You have heard of Job's perseverance, this is Job here, and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Okay, so we quickly read this, but let us look a bit more detail on this text. It's five times about patience, two times about the coming of the Lord, and one example, and that's Job. So that's why we will look deeper in. So be patient then. I have an advantage. I looked at this text longer than you did. So the Greek word is makitno. Patience, it's interesting. I don't know how you feel with patience, whether you are a patient person or not. Some of you have a positive association. Look at your neighbor and ask them, are you patient? So it's not a very... Um, not many people are very patient. But when the Bible speaks about patience... So the word makros, it's patient, it's long, it's something big. And then tumos, it is anger. So it is a long, that means it is a long way to become angry, a long way to, to get angry. That is the correct translation here of patience. Then, then be patient, brothers. So he speaks about brothers and sisters, so it's a letter to the church. So be patient until the Lord's coming. So until that timing, be 
patient. So that's the time we live in and days to come. So see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. So he needs a long way to get angry, a long way. Wrath and so and uh, and anger, it, it's long ways until that. So be patient until you receive the valuable crop and the autumn and spring rains. So you too be patient and stand firm. The German version says, um, and strengthen your hearts and, and focus on the Lord. Face the Lord. It, it says, make your face firm onto the Lord. And then it's a very important phrase. Don't grumble against each other. Very important phrase. According to the dictionary, this grumble means, I really like this, it describes inner feelings of not articulated expression. And I imagined... So it means, translation, I have problems with other people. These are inner feelings in which you think like, they come from your deep belly, out of your belly. You know this? I don't know how you cannot articulate, express something, but it's probably with grumbling, like, negative expression. So that means grumble. I would tell you, make sure you don't get into trouble with others. And if you read on, here it says, or you will be judged. So God is looking on how you treat each other. But he's doing this so you won't be judged. So we leave it like that. Brothers, as examples of patient, face of suffering, in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now we get to heat to job. As you know, we consider blessed those who have preserved, preserved. And here follows the example of Job. And I thought, James, I don't know if you picked the right example, because if you look at Job's life, he was not the most... Mm. not angry people. But let's read it. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And then I thought, mm, I think I have to take a closer look at Job because I believe God has to say something prophetically. He wants to underline something. And I think he wants to underline what we heard at the conference. So the good thing is, before we look into Job, and I promise you I won't share all of you, share all of what Job's friends said, I like stories with happy end. And the good thing is, there is a happy end. That's the good message. And that's why I like reading Job, because of the happy end. Tell your neighbor the happy end okay. is coming. Many don't know that that story is a prophetic image about the 
the Church of the Ending Times. So, it is used here because James is speaking to the brothers and sisters of the Church, so it's not about a person, but it's a prophetic image into this time. That's the context. The, the coming of the Lord is near, so live the way that you receive his love. So let's look at how it was with Job. Let's start in Job 1.1. So he was... Um, he was blameless and upright, feared God and shunned evil. And he was wealthy and he was living a priest-like life. He offered God, sacrificed um, every morning. He prayed for his children every day. And the sacrifices, they were an expression of devotion and prayer and love. And, and he took his place in his family. And then there was a day that nobody wants to experience because all of his being, all of his existence broke down. One bad message after the other approached him. Maybe you know for a long for a long time you have experienced that too. You lived a good life and suddenly, bam, bam, bam. All of your flocks were murdered and left away and all of his wealth is taken away and then he heard that his family, they were together in the house and through a windstorm, that house broke down and killed all all of his children and he was alone there was nothing left so he loses his children his his hairs his wealth and then he becomes sick and last but not least even his wife is turning away from him and she says wow Hiob you still hold on hold, cling on to your faith what she says is that are you still wanting to live without sin are you still wanting to live that life why don't you turn away from God and just die chapter 1 verse 18 so that's a day nobody wants to live and then there's a discussion between God and Satan. I only want to say two things about this. I cannot explain everything. There are many um, theological aspects, but there are two things that are very decisive. See, Satan approaches God. He is a creature. He's not the, the creator, but he's a creature. And he approaches God. And he says, God, if you look at Job's life, he actually only believes because he's selfish. He only believes so that he will have money. He only believes in order to be to be healthy. Take all of this away from him and you will see the true motivation of Job. And God says, no, it's not the case. His trust is not because he is blessed and he has all the wealth, but his faith is unshakable. And God is looking for that kind of faith because trust is found in him. I read an interesting uh, phrase in a book. It was about Romans 6, 1 and 2. That's the definition of sin. And the Greek word of sin is hamatia. And sin is mistrust against God. 
And that's what it's about, testing just that. Is he still clinging on to his faith? And you know, trust, it's, it's faith towards God. So now we will quickly go back to chapter 42. And there are four friends. They come to Job. They try to comfort. They cry. They and it's going wrong. Instead, they text him. They... they um, they discuss with him, they want to explain, they want to defend, and they, you know, it all ends up in stupid discussions. And if we try to explain God, it ends up in discussion. If we try to, 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 to explain the question of why things happen, then it's not really working out because God, God explains himself. So here they are sitting literally on the scattered pieces of his life and they're actually not really friends. And Job is actually deeply disappointed. And on the inside of him, something, something mourns and says, how can I hold on to the living God? And the recuse of their friends is just the same. They say, your love is egoistic. What you do is you build your own kingdom. You do it just for yourself. You serve the Lord so that you just get the best for yourself. But you don't do it out of love. Love is not about myself, but it's about God. You shall love the Lord your, your God with all your conscience, all your mind, and all your strength. So what does Job represent? What does he stand for? He stands for every person who is going through a crisis. And I heard that sometimes people go through crises. Of course you don't. Of course this church doesn't. Or maybe you do. People who go through a crisis, they are in prison. You're walking on danger to end up in prison. If you go to, through a crisis, if you, if you go through a, a difficult disease, then you have to learn to hold on to your faith. But this disease is a danger to keep you in a prison. Or maybe you go through a crisis, maybe because of personal failures. And quickly, you end up in a prison of your own thoughts, of your, the, 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 your failures. And these crises, you always feel like nobody's around me anymore. Nobody can find the words that I actually need. Nobody can really comfort me, encourage me. But everything um, is just turning away from me in this prison. And this crisis is often a time of testing. And the test, it's about one thing. God is asking, do you trust me? Are you holding on to me? Or are you allowing the mistrust to grow in you? Because God is a good God. There is no change in him, no switch in his love. His mercy has no end. But that's the question. How do I, how do I react? Do I trust or do I mistrust? 
Misstrauen gegenüber Gott. Mistrust God. Wie sind die Motive? What are your motives? God is asking, is it truly about me that you serve me and worship me? I have to ask myself that question every day when I'm serving the Lord, when I'm doing events, when I'm traveling through the world, no matter what it is. The decisive question is, do I do it out of love for him? So Job is representing those who are in a prison because of a crisis, but Job also represents the church of the ending times. And it's obvious that churches and congregations are going through shaking times, testing times. Sometimes you realize this even more when we have friends from different nations coming here. Because they... they um, See, see this even stronger. Churches empty, people close their heart, not for, towards God, but for religion. It's a time of shaking, a time of testing. The generation, the, the hairs are, are dying out. And what I see here is that it's also the timing of false friends. Sometimes wrong friends appear in forms of, of help, in forms of theology, and they take a strong influence. So Hiob steht für die Situation der Gemeinde der letzten Zeit. Hiob represents the situation of the church in the ending times. And through the last 10 years, we have seen how false friends rose. You can read books about this. For example, Michael Brown um, wrote about hyper-grace Christians. And I have to say something before. The grace of the Lord is the greatest gift we have. We cannot add anything to grace. Amen? Remember the first CD we produced with Besheva? It was called Complete Grace, 100% Grace. That, that, that was the title. And if we don't experience that grace every day, and if we would not live out of that grace, we could not do the march of life. If we don't do, if we don't experience grace out of repentance, we could never go to different nations and ask for forgiveness. And often friends come to us and they say, wow, that's such a joy here, especially also during the King of Glory conference. And Chuck Pierce was asking me, Jobst, tell me, where does that come from? As if I would uh, hand over a, a secret recipe to him. And I said, well, it's actually very simple. Two aspects. The first is, Repentance. God has led us into deep repentance. It was in 2007, actually before already. And we did not leave this repentance. And some ask us very, mm, oh, how, how terrible. But then I say, no, don't you know that repentance, God's goodness, leads you into joy. And that joy you experience is a result of this repentance. And then he he, he, he looked at me 
Wow. And I said the second part is the Jewish heritage. By welcoming the, the Jewish heritage, um, we received that joy too. Chuck Pierce and Paul Rilber spoke about the treasures given by God. Of course, Jesus is our treasure, but these were our two aspects. So we live by grace. And this grace, it's founded not in turning away from the old laws and we say, oh, we're so free now through grace that we can live whatever, however we want to. We don't need the messages. We don't need of how we can live. But now we are free through grace. This is this is the message of today's time and in some church uh, we have to be careful about that hypergrace hypergrace the commandments of the Old Testament are not abolished but some people think they have been and that's why some people think we can live however we want to and that's not true but it's important to know this because it has consequences. We are not under the law anymore, but we are under the grace of God. Say this to your neighbor. At the same time, Paul warns and says, however, you shall live the way God wants to. There is an obedience and faith. In Jude chapter 3, we read the following. Some people have taken grace as a license for sin. So... We will look at Job a little bit deeper, but we want to look first in the false, to, to the false friends. So, hypergrace is also a problem of Martin Luther times and also the first founding churches. It's called Antinomicumus. Did you ever hear this word? <laughs> Only Maria, of course, theologian. That's the faith that there are no moral laws that God expects from us. And Luther, he looked at this and he said the following. The sermon, the declaration, has the, the sermon has to contain um, repentance and forgiveness of sin. We we have to hear repentance. The, the preaching of repentance cannot be abolished. Sorry, I didn't get this. Anyways, let's give the Lord a great applause. Let's go back to the personal aspects now. Now, now it gets easy. Okay, false friends number two. It's a pluralistic imagination of God. I will explain. So everybody is just 
creating its own god the way he or she wants to. And the interesting thing is that often we think of um, God the way we experience our own father. So if I experienced abuse or terrible things at home, then I yearn for the love of God and encountering this love and everything that has to do with disciplining, it's difficult for me. And somebody who experienced a very calm and, and silent father, maybe a father who had problems in helping and, and, and dis disciplining children, these people have a problem when it's about standards of God. So our picture of God is characterized by our own father relationship was. And if you have experienced that love and authority does not so we experience that love and authority goes together. Charlotte and me, we experience that both from our, our family. So I saw my father as a, a loving man, but also a man of authority. So these things belong together for me. So we have different pictures of God, but that way of our family shall not characterize the way we look at God. But how we look at God has to be characterized by the word of God, by his love and also by his um, education. If I only speak about love, then God becomes my friend and he's supposed to be my friend, but then he's not my father anymore. And then I often have problems that I shall be obedient to God. And if I only speak of obedience, I will have problems with his love. So both things belong together. False friends in, in um, today's time is the imagination that separates me from God. And I'm more coined by my own experiences than from the truth of God. The third false friends, it's the comfortable gospel. The word of God says that we shall do well in all areas. Hallelujah. We declare that. And I'm happy about this because God is a good God. He wants us to do well. Of course he does. In finances, in our family, wherever. Tell your neighbor, God wants you to do well. To do good. It's an expression of his love. What, what kind of father would he be if he looks at us and says, no, I don't have that for you, only for different people. But the father truly loves us. He wants us to do good. But the word of God does not say if we go through different difficult situations, crises, or whatever, that he would not be merciful or um, loving. And that's often the lie we believe. We speak about the Separation of the Jewish roots that that first appeared seven, 70 after Christ. The church father said the people of Israel is cursed. 70 after Christ, 
the people of Israel went through terrible crises, destruction, diaspora, driving away the Jews, and so on. And the church father said, the Jews, something's wrong with them. God does not love it. God does not love them anymore. God cursed them. And the comfortable gospel, there, it, it's not about that God does not want us to be, be blessed, but the question is, through what kind of glasses do we look at the crises of people? His mercy and love has no end. And if you are going through a crisis, if you have a disease, if you are in a prison, God wants to get you out there and you are loved by the living God. He has not taken his hand away from you. Even if you are in darkness, if you are going through the most difficult darkness, God is with you. I had the privilege to accompany our good friend Vidya. You know, Vidya was the first drug addict in Svetlakors in Belarus who was freed, and then he became the leader of our ministry in Tumen. And then he, he got cancer, and until the last breath, he held on to God and held on to his healing. And of course, we all spoke about this. We, we said, Vidya, if you go to the Lord, you know where you go. And he said, yes, I do. I'm ready. And I remember when I was in Ostrovchichi, it was one week before we went to the Lord. We Skyped together and, and we were looking at each other and he looked terrible. He said, Jobs, there's such darkness around me. And I said, God is with you. And although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your thy rod and thy stuff, they comfort me. And we don't live by feelings, but we live by the living word of God. We live by what God says, and God says no matter what prison you are going through, he has not leave, left you. He does not stop to love you. Let us stop to look at the destinies or crises of other people and by that judge their spiritual condition. That's stupid stuff, and that's not written in the Word of God. The love of God is not changed. And often we live by our feelings, by our soul, however we want. But what God wants is that he leads you from the level of your feelings into the level of standing firm in which you stand on a rock. And that rock is the word of God. Jesus is the word, and that rock is the word. Get out of your soul into that level of spirit. So Job represents the church of the last time. I'm not just speaking about us, but general as the, of, of the body of Christ. Sometimes we hear, well, I don't know when God is coming in 100 or 200 years. What is that? Well, that's not my problem. But I'm speaking about that God can come back every day. And we will look at the happy end of James' uh, job later on. But let's look at James 5. So be preserved. Um, God looks at the way we live in the last timing. And it's my 
I'm obliged to preach the truth. I'm obliged to preach the way we have to live in order to encounter God. Because if we don't speak about this, we will steal the strength of the gospel. And that will, uh, you know, we, we have to take responsibility before God. Remember the virgins who have their oil lamps filled in order to encounter the bridegroom. Yes, there are preconditions. We have received all grace. God has blessed us. But God is teaching us of how we can live live in a wonderful, victorious life, and it's not complicated. But that's the way we are supposed to live. James 5, preserve without grumble, without mistrust, do not get mistrusting. If I look around, these are one of the things that easily happen. You go through crisis, you are in a, in a prison. But in you, there is mistrust towards God. Did really God say this? Is God really a good God, or does he let me just hang? Is it really true what he said? His promises are truly amen and yes. Is it real? You received that promise just in your baptism, and you will see in the next years of how you cling on to your promises. Keep the trust, just how Job kept his trust in his crisis, found your heart firm, and focus your sight on Jesus, for the coming of the Lord is near. And this is about something that happens every day, the way we're supposed to live every day. Now I promise you to come back to the happy end. We like the happy end, but we also see that this happy end was happening in a very interesting way. If you got your Bible, turn to, turn not to the friends of Job, but look at the chapter 42. This is the end of the crisis, the end of the time of prison. The first point, we often know these words. Hiob starts to repent, and he said the following. Hiob says, my ears has had heard of you, but my eyes have not seen you. And he, what Job needed is that he he needed encounters, he needed a visit of God, because we know what, what, what that makes with us. We would leave everything behind, but if we encounter the living God, that is precious. That was the first step of transformation. Jesus came, and I believe this is a time in which Jesus visits the church again. He comes in a very special way. Jesus wants to visit you, us, by giving us revelation. And the testimony of Paul Wilbur's pastor in Jacksonville, that was moving me deeply. Maybe you remember the story. Paul wrote me and he said, Jobs, I, I want you to meet this pastor. He's a pastor of a 15,000 people church. All of the church was full of programs and everything was 
um, agendered and he had no contact to this pastor. But then Paul was invited um, to uh, um, a Friday service before Easter, and it was just before Pesach, and he preached about Pesach. And he gave the bread to the pastor. And actually, he wanted the pastor um, to, to bless the bread. There were about 3,000 people, but the pastor was nailed. He could not move, standing there for half an hour. And Paul did not know of what to do, but then leading him back to the green room. Of course, that was not a charismatic church. <laughs> It's a room where pastors wait, and, and one hour that pastor cried. And afterwards, he needed one week to, to confess, to, to, to share what actually happened to him. When he was standing with, with Paul Wilbur, taking the bread, he had a revelation of Jesus. Jesus came to him, and he saw how Jesus really was. Everybody has that experience in a different way. You don't have to have that experience when you take uh, Pesach, um, when, when you take the Lord's Supper. Maybe it's just in your room at home, and you simply say, Lord, I'm so hungry. I don't want religion. I want you. When I encounter you, whenever you take time, he approaches you with thousand steps. You make one step. God comes to you. And that pastor, he had that encounter and everything changed. All of the church life, all of the programs that was there. So that was the first step. Jesus visits the church and he visited Job. The second part is when God visits us, things become easy. In verse 6, you can see, Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. If God leads us to that place of capitulation, it's the second step. He surrenders. And repentance is simply saying with a bad conscience, oh, Lord, forgive me, I made a mistake. That's not repentance. Repentance is to surrender giving up, I'm lifting up a white flag, I'm giving up, and I don't know how many days that took, how, how he discussed with his friends, he did not stop over and over again, but he was the point, now I, I give up. And often we fight with God. We think we fight with situations. We think we fight with circumstances, with ourselves or with whatever, but actually we fight with God. And the only thing that God wants to do is that we come to this point and say, God, I give up. This was the second step for his happy end. First, you encounter Jesus. Second, you surrender. And if you want to get to know the living God, and this cross in which Jesus hang is the place to surrender. Because Jesus fulfilled everything for you to come to the Heavenly Father. The cross is the place of surrender. Cross is the place where I say, not through my strength, not through my work. God has given you gifts, yes, but it's not through that. You just lay it down before him and give up. 
not before people, but for the before the living God. This is the place of change. And the Bible calls this humble, humility. He gives grace to the humble. And humility is confessing, yes, I made mistakes. I did so many, I had so many failures in life. I missed out, but I will restart. I was so glad to hear these testimonies of the people who were baptized. I will restart with Jesus. And the same word is for you, no matter how old or young you are, what cultural background you come, what nation you come from, the message of the gospel is globally, universally, and it's personal for you. The third aspect, that verse is actually the um, trigger of my entire sermon. So, the third aspect is that Hiob started to pray for his friends. And when, when Job started to pray for his friends, Der Herr das Geschick, so steht das hier in der Lutherbibel. Aber eigentlich heißt er, und als God turned the destiny, that's what it says here in Luther Bible. But actually when Job prayed for his friends, God opened up the prison. His crisis changed. He prayed for his friends. And I said, what does that mean? Well, Imagine his friends, they disappointed him. Sometimes they um, tortured him, left him alone. And he prays for them. And I was reminded of Jesus reading this. So I believe the book of Job is a prophetic picture for Jesus. We find Jesus everywhere in the Old Testament. Do you know Spurgeon, the revival preacher? He made an entire preaching row of Jesus in the Old Testament. Of course, the Trinity. We heard this from Roy Fields, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Creator, was there from the beginning on. But he was... He was always in the boat from the beginning on, you know. All of the redeeming story, the, the, the creation story, you see the hints towards Jesus. And Job prayed for his friends. So, John 17, Jesus prayed for his friends. And then John 15, verse 30, no one has greater love than those who leave their life for his friends. Well, friends of Jesus were not better. They left him when, when Jesus was crucified. They denied him. They lied. They lived with him for three years, and then they left him alone. By the way, the word of friends means the next person, so the close one to you. Here, Job prays, and the prison opens up. Maybe you remember that a couple of Sundays ago, I preached about the word um, Proverbs 25, 28. A person who cannot hold back his anger is like a city without walls. And I preached about that there's so many people without protection walls because they allow that, 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 that anger, that, that anger to stir up. 
And you see, that's the opposite of the patience of Job, that long way to become angry, to become angry. To me, it seems like that Job and his friends had a common problem. For some reason, they had open walls. Open protection walls. I don't mean separation walls, but protection walls. God wants everybody of us to be protected. Our emotions shall be protected. Our life shall be protected. The word of God says he is our protection. He is our um, fortress, our rock. But often we live without protection walls. For some reason, there are holes in there. People, churches, cities, nations. That's what I preached about. And I want to share a word with you. Deuteronomy 20. It's like a plant carrying bitter fruit. But when Job repented, or uh, um, before he repented, his trust somehow turned into mistrust. Somehow they tried to explain the circumstances. Somehow something stirred up. It, it was like poisoning. And then it said that Job started to pray for his friends, and that's the third point. You know, reconciliation is a nice word. And often we speak about this. But actually, we live in captivity, captivity of mistrust. Often we don't approach people because we have problems with them. And we think God's okay with this. And actually this word, this is the fourth point. It represents radical forgiveness. I believe God has a problem with me and with you. And we have problems with others. If we forgive on the outside, but do not radically forgive, radical forgiveness opens up the prison. And that's what Job did. He prayed for his friends. And it was so clear. He said, I want them to do well. I want them to receive all blessing. And that what happened at the cross of Calvary is that Jesus paid a radical price. He paid with his life so that you and I can live, so that the people who got baptized could stand here, that I could stand here. He paid a price that was so radical that it cost his whole life. I believe that often we do not leave our prison, although we try to, because we do not, we do not forgive until the end. Hiobs, 
God changed Job's destiny when he prayed for his friends. Let us think about this. How quickly do we say, oh, I distrust. But actually I say, God, I don't trust you. Quickly we, we say these words. God is there with open arms and he says, I want you to come to the hands and the arms of fathers of the Father. Maybe you are in a prison. Maybe you go through a crisis. I want to tell you, God wants to open up your prison. Maybe you know, you already see the people in front of you right now that you don't approach that you have problems with. Maybe you don't have this protection wall. And maybe you are here in captivity. I take this personal now. It's a word for the church, but now we are sitting here, maybe in a crisis, maybe with diseases. You have to know the love of God did not leave you. The mercy of God has no end. But somehow you lost your patience, the perseverance, holding on. And patience is not just simply say, Lord, when do you finally do this? And I'm battling with the Lord. But patience is that I have my eyes focused on him. I'm seeking him more and more and more. The Bible says that in the last time, hearts will become cold and people will leave God. And that's only possible if my eyes are not fixed on him. The word of God says, if we trust God, then we don't have to flee. Who believes does not flee. If we do not mistrust him, but trust, then I can stand and wait. And trust and wait, and then he takes you out of your prison. Who of you has experienced that God took you out of captivity, out of a prison? I believe probably everybody. How encouraging. But maybe you lost your patience. This patience that that long has a long road to anger. And you have to repent. And we want to pray together. And I will call you later. If you are in such a prison, I want to call you. I want to encourage you. Because every prison has a door, right? The only prison in which we don't get out ourselves is the prison of sin. Martin Luther says the following, every person is walled in sin. And from the beginning on, you are in this wall of sin. And through that wall, you cannot go by yourself until you have asked Jesus to tear down that wall. If you are Christian and are born to light, new life, Jesus came and had, had torn down this, life, uh, this wall. But you need to make that step. So Jesus wants to visit you today. He wants to take you out. He wants to take you out of that, that position. You know, in the kingdom of God, there, is, there are no 
guests before fences. They can only be in the midst. He calls you out of your fence being. He wants you to come to the center of love to him. He wants to visit you. And the second aspect, he does so if we surrender. If you say, here I am, I will do it. And you know, it's better if we give up, then God has to lead us there. I surrender. You can do it today. You can say this today and say, Lord, I surrender. And the third aspect is the radical forgiveness. Just scan your life. Forgiveness is work. Forgiveness is not simply confessing some phrases and then I live on the same way. But radical forgiveness is that my heart on the inside is free of accusation and bitterness. There is a principle of, of counseling. If your thoughts circle around a certain person and you discuss on the inside, then you have not forgiven yet. Do you know this? Radical forgiveness. Jesus paid a radical price. And the next step is that God opens up the prison. And I don't want to keep the happy end to you. After this, God gave double portions to Hiob, to Job. And there's a verse that I really like. And all his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. Aren't they great? In a time in which he had no house and where Job was sitting on ashes, nothing, nothing was visible of them. But now God blessed him and they come and they sit all around him in his house and they comfort him. And I say, Guys, it's too late. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. Now you can put these friends in a pipe and smoke them. There are all those who simply see things through their soul and are and imprison themselves. But you don't belong to these people, right? Let us pray. I believe today is a timing for you. It's a timing for you and God will encounter you. You can leave your prison today. Jesus Jesus came to destroy the works of darkness. He came for love. And maybe you sit here and you say, I don't like religion, I just came for the baptism. I want to tell you, Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. And when I was 14 years old, I encountered him. And it's a couple years ago. Now you can count down how many years. But what he said, he, keep, he kept. God is a faithful God and you can meet him today. Let us stand together. We want to pray together.